Great to be with you. Probably a lot of us came with a little bit of apprehension this morning. How's this going to go? Well, guess what? We worshiped God. God is present. We take communion and we continue to be the church all the way home. Amen? Amen. So it's great to see you and, and, and thrilled to be with you. And I just can't say it enough. Uh, church, maybe you might just, well, I don't know if we should give a mighty roar, uh, but just uh, everybody here to everybody at home is saying it's cool that we can be together, that we're all together in this moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is. Everybody's feeling that. So we're so glad. And we're so glad this isn't going to last forever. We're going to, I love all this news. We're hearing about vaccines right around the corner and put an end to all this and we can just get on with life. Amen. 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 Um, couple things to bring to your attention uh, this morning before we dive into God's word together. One is that, hey, can we just give a huge thanks? We had more than 80 people turn out yesterday to put up the church's Christmas lights. We put them up in two and a half hours. It was fantastic, all right? Can we just celebrate that? And, and so this is a great time to let your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends know that, you know, the light show is just a gift to our community in celebration at Christmas time of the birth of our Savior. Several of you drove in this morning and you said, Pastor Greg, you told us you weren't going to turn the lights on until after Thanksgiving. Well, technically, I didn't turn the lights on. Let's turn the number. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, uh, you know, the team that works so hard at this every year, they said, Pastor Greg, would it be okay if we turn them on now? We just want to give them to our community now. And I said, absolutely, I'm not going to stand in your way. Uh, so, but remember, technically it wasn't me who turned them on. I just hold on to that. But huge thanks to everybody uh, who came and volunteered. Great spirit here. Awesome, awesome day that we had together yesterday. Um, well, another thing to make you aware of is that this week with uh, Thanksgiving coming up, uh, we won't have our Wednesday evening activities here at the church. So youth group, Impact Kids Club, uh, the various small groups and stuff that happen on Wednesday night uh, won't be happening this Wednesday night because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, so be aware of that. Just take that in. Uh, also, uh, when you leave today, there's a table in the foyer that's a Royal Ranger table. We have a very veteran, experienced Royal Ranger leader who's... Uh, asked us to see, hey, have we got some folks that are interested in forming a Royal Rangers group? Now, many of us might say, what is Royal Rangers? It's kind of like Boy Scouts, but kind of really not like Boy Scouts if you read too much news, okay? It's kind of like Boy Scouts, but it's Christian uh, in nature, and it's where uh, boys learn uh, the disciplines uh, uh, of, of uh, outdoors experiences as well as uh, learning the gospel and learning uh, about the Lord. It's a wonderful program. Our son went all the way through it uh, when he was growing up. Uh, it, it doesn't happen as much as it used to, but we're gauging the level of interest. So if you think your boys would be interested in a ranger, stop by the table on your way out, connect, get a little bit of information, and uh, we're thinking about starting that up on Sunday afternoons after the first of the year, so so that's going on. And then one last thing uh, is a huge, uh, no, I already said that, I said thank you to everybody, so I don't have anything else, so uh, grab your Bible if you would and open it to John's Gospel, chapter 5, this morning, John's Gospel, chapter 5, and, and here in this little moment between our series in uh, Philippians that we finished last week and, and moving into the holidays, we're going to be in John, chapter 5 for a moment, and I thought that since this is Thanksgiving week, since that's coming up this week, I thought I would open our message today talking about dieting. You ready for that? Should we do that? Talk a little bit about dieting this morning. Have you ever been on a diet, on a weight loss diet? Raise your hand if you've ever been on one. I mean, 
I, I was never on one until I was about 53, 54 years old, just a few years ago. It was the first time in my life I ever thought about going on a diet. Actually, Rhonda and I are on one now. Um, Rhonda more than me, if I can just say it that way. And uh, we, we've got a little app that I'm supposed to be keeping up with on our phone. Um, and, and I'm learning about this whole reality that, that just wasn't part of my world as an active, outgoing guy for most of my life. But I'm learning a little bit about dieting now. Now, when I think about diets, I'm reminded of what the great Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw said. He said, no diet will remove all the fat from your body because your brain is entirely fat tissue. Without a brain, you might look good, but all you could really do with your life is run for public office, which is, you know, uh, pretty true even 150 years ago when he said that. But, you know, when it comes to dieting, I can be really brainless. Let me, let me explain my, my ignorance, my stupidity when it comes to diet. As I've gone from, from 20 to now almost 60, I have stubbornly chosen to believe that I can keep my weight down by how much I exercise without paying any attention to what I eat. You know, that's just kind of been my mode. It's what I've told myself. That's how I talk to myself. Here's the problem. That way of thinking is partly true, which makes it the worst kind of lie because the other half of it is not true. The whole truth is that my health has to do both with exercising and what I eat. And I am trying to get that into my head. <laughs> I don't know if that's difficult for anybody else, but it's difficult for me. The whole truth is that my health has to do with both exercising and changing what I eat. I'm trying to learn that. I'm failing to learn that, but I'm trying to learn that those two things have to go together. You know, many things in life start to make sense when you understand that your outside experience is a byproduct of what's going on inside of you. Let me say that again. Your outside experience is a byproduct of what's going on inside of you, of what's going on inside of me. Lots of people don't believe in the connection, not in a practical way, between their earthly life and their souls. And so we live as if sin doesn't matter. Because we don't really believe in the connection between what's going on inside of us and what's happening around us, we live practically, practically as if sin doesn't matter. When we think like that, we start obsessing over the wrong things. But dear friends, this morning, your Father God wants you to understand wants us to understand that the most serious and dangerous thing in the world isn't what's happening on the outside of us, but what's happening on the inside of us. Because that is where the trauma of our world's real problem, which is sin, occurs. Church, understand, sin damages the heart and mind. It afflicts the soul. You can walk away from a sexual sin or an or a act of violence or a, a lie you told or a dishonest business deal or, or ignoring the poor or cursing your neighbor. You can walk away from all those things without a mark on your body. But you will walk away from it with a seed planted in your soul that the Bible says will bear fruit. It will happen always. Sooner or later, the chickens come home to roost. What goes around comes around. Whatever proverb you want to throw in there, 
is reality. God tells us that. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, do not be deceived, Greg. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, sin always produces fruit. It always comes back to haunt us, which is why God's against it. He doesn't just make rules. He's against it because he knows that what happens on the inside of us inevitably affects the outside of us. James writes about this in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, when he says, Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What's he describing? A process between what happens inside of us that then evidently, uh, eventually moves to the outside of us. Notice that progression. And here's the saddest part of the story. The saddest part of the story is, church, when we don't take sin seriously, what ends up happening is we never really know God's grace. Let me say it again. When we don't take sin seriously, what we lose out on ultimately in the end is the awareness of God's grace. And God wants us to understand the truth about sin this morning so that we can know his grace. Not just so that he can condemn sin, but so that we can know his grace. John chapter 5, I invited you to turn there a moment. And in John chapter 5, we read about a man who thinks he knows what he needs, but who finds out otherwise. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. You can picture that. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Why? We're going to see in a moment. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Imagine this man had been going to this pool called Bethesda for 38 years, the entire time seeking a cure for his health condition, seeking a cure for what, what sounds like at least a partial paralysis. They call him an invalid. We know that he can't walk. 38 years he's been going to this pool. Some people assume that this pool was an actual healing pool. The fact that this man had been there for 38 years, the fact that so many people went there day after day after day suggests that perhaps it wasn't at all. It was just an urban legend. This man was part of that reality. He's going to this pool seeking health, sort of like those of us who go to diets seeking health. Was this the place to find health? We don't know. It doesn't say. But lots of people brought there believed in it. And so they pursued health through this method. I wonder how many times uh, somebody has told you they have the cure to your health problems, you know. Take this, take that, take the other thing. I remember many years ago when my mom got bamboozled into this thing and she put a piece of purple metal in her pocket and it was supposed to heal her arthritis if she just wore this piece of purple metal in her pocket all the time. And I remember thinking, Mom, no, that's not real. That's not true. Something like that was happening here. I have MS, and sometimes well-intended people will come and offer me the latest cure they found on the Internet, and I think, thank you for your love, but I'm going to trust the guy who spent his whole life studying MS who I see every year. This man is chasing health like that, and into his life steps Jesus. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, 
and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, on one level, <laughs> that sounds like a dumb question. But it depends on how we define well. I know a man who is perfectly healthy physically, but because of his life, his lifestyle, his drug abuse, his serial adulteries, his violence, he's headed for prison right now. I've known him for 30 years. His children won't speak to him. He's exhausted the love of his ex-wife. I ask you, is he well? <laughs> He's physically fit, but is he well? Sir, the invalid replied, verse 7, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else always goes down ahead of me. This man thinks that he knows what he needs, and he's resentful that other people aren't making it happen. Lots of folks fall into this trap, blaming everyone around them for their situation. We, we see that attitude all the time. Sometimes I see it in myself. Sometimes you see it in yourself. Often we see it in other people. This man is living with a kind of simmering resentment. But notice this, church. Jesus doesn't lecture him or condemn him for his attitude. Instead, he heals him. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, there's a couple of things to see here before we move on in this story, because this isn't the end. First, notice that Jesus' compassion goes above and beyond your hang-ups. Jesus doesn't say to the man, hey, get your attitude right. Get your act together, and then I'll meet you in that moment. He says, no, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal. I'm going to meet you right there in your hang-up. Sometimes we think that God won't meet us until we overcome our hang-ups. Nothing could be further from the truth. He meets us in the moment we open our hearts to him. Jesus meets this man like that. So grasp that. Don't say to yourself, God, i got to get my act together before you can go to work in my life. No, no, no. It begins just as soon as you open your heart to him. That's the first thing to notice. But second, church, notice this. This isn't the end of this story. This is not the end of the story that John is telling. If Jesus' power to heal were the main point John is making, the story would stop here. But it doesn't. That's how we know it has to do with being well instead of just being healed. There's more to being well than being healthy. The scripture tells us in the next verse, verse 10, that the day on which this took place was a Sabbath, the day that the Jews set aside to worship God, to practice rest. And so the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders, said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Talk about missing the point, right? Somebody should have said, wow, you're walking. I know you. I've passed you on the way to work every day for 38 years, and you're healed. But they, they can't even see that. All they can see is a, a supposed violation of a scripture they had interpreted wrong from the beginning. 
They said, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. These guys had become so obsessed with their religious rules that they had forgotten why the rules were given in the first place. Jesus talked about the Sabbath on many occasions. Over in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, he was pointed. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because he was in a, a crowded church on a Sabbath and a man was there who needed to be healed, Jesus said, should I heal him? And the silence of the leadership enraged him. He said, what do you think the Sabbath is about if it's not about people getting better, people being healed, people experiencing God? The Jews are responding to this man carrying his mat, completely missing the point of what was happening. And by the way, if you want to grow up in Jesus over the long haul, that's what you want to do is learn what's most important in every moment. There's always a hierarchy of priorities. That's what the Lord is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. What matters most in this moment? What matters most in that moment? It's why Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on two things, loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving one another. Because if we get those two wrong, it doesn't matter what else we get right. Those are the priorities. The Jews object to this man carrying his mat. The man responds, verse 11, and says this, the man who uh, made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. In other words, the healed man is saying, evidently there's a higher authority here and I'm going to listen to him. Christ followers are people who listen to Jesus above anyone and everyone else. That's what it means to call him Lord. That's what it means to call him King. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed sometimes at the statements people make. And, and, and sometimes I'll say if the moment's right and it's not too scary or intimidating, I'll say something like, so I hear you saying that. Where do you see that in your Bible? Many of us speak as if we're not under authority, as if we don't have someone to answer to, as if his lordship doesn't include all of our attitudes. This man is beginning to perceive that that's the reality of who Jesus is. Christ followers are people who listen to the Lord before anyone else. Do you? Over in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says one of the scariest things he ever said in the scriptures, he said, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them, I never knew you. The scripture says many will say, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And Jesus will say, well, yeah, maybe. But it had nothing to do with me. I never knew you. And the implication is, you never knew me. You had a name, you had a collection of syllables, but you weren't listening to me. This man is moving beyond that. He says, the man who made me well told me, pick up my mat and walk. He recognized the authority of the person he had encountered. You know, I remember many years ago when Isaiah was a teenager and, and you know, growing and learning like all teenagers. And he came to me one day and he asked me to say something that was only half true so that it would benefit him in a situation he was facing. I said, Isaiah, I can't do that. I said, you know me better than that. I can't, I'm not going to do that. And he said, but you're my dad. And I said, yes, and you're my son. And you know better than to ask me to do that. Sometimes we're like that. We say, God, I just want you to bless what I'm doing here. God says, hey, wait a minute. I'm the one parenting you. 
not the other way around. Christ followers listen to Jesus above anyone and everyone else. So the Pharisees, uh, the Jews, hearing this man say this, verses 12 and 13, they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. The Lord does that a lot. Jesus isn't looking for publicity for its own sake. He doesn't need it. He knows that the silence of righteousness speaks louder than anything else. And this story isn't over yet. Church, understand, physical healing is never the end of the story. It's only the beginning. And if you take the long view, this healing didn't accomplish a thing. A few years after this happened, this guy was dead. His healing was over as his earthly body ceased to be an issue at all. And then we get to the end of the story, verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I would invite you to circle that phrase, something worse. We might be tempted to ask, what could be worse than being an invalid, than being partially paralyzed? Well, the answer to that is, how about a healthy body with a sick mind or a tortured spirit? Or how about a soul destined for judgment and eternal hell? Yeah, that could be worse. Yeah, that's a lot worse. Do we believe in that reality? Jesus is saying, what I did for you, my friend, is the beginning. Your real problem is bigger. Your sins can and will put you in a much worse situation than the one I just got you out of. Do we believe that? Jesus does. Dr. Fred Luter, president of the Southern Baptists of America, said this, in America, we don't have political problems. We have a sin problem. It can't be cured by laws or elections or more police. It can only be cured by God. <laughs> And that's the reality. Most people are only looking for solutions to their temporary problems, forgetting the real problem, as Jesus is calling this man's attention to, which is sin itself. The Bible doesn't declare that our politics separate us from God or our culture or our economy or the Democrats or the Republicans or anything else. The Bible says, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. The most serious and dangerous thing happening in my life is not my job, my house, my kids, my health. It's my sins. And Jesus comes to rescue us from them, to deliver us from the consequences of sin that start on the inside and move to the outside. I remember years ago I had surgery on my cervical spine. I had a couple of them. And the first time that I had that, they went in there and they, they fused things together and they put little pieces of metal in their space, all this kind of stuff. And uh, when I woke up from that surgery, because they'd gone in the front, they, they actually cut here and pull everything out of the way and then they go in there and do the back. It's not something you want to think about if you're getting ready for lunch. But anyway... I woke up in the recovery room and I was laying on my back and I got this big scar and all this kind of stuff. And, and I can't sleep on my back. Maybe you're blessed to be able to sleep on your back. I can't. I got to kind of get on my stomach or whatever. So I was laying there for a little while and I was dead tired. I just wanted to go to sleep, but I couldn't get to sleep on my back. So I thought to myself, I'm going to turn over so I can sleep. So very gingerly and slowly, I started to turn over on my side. And when I got on my side, I felt everything in my chest kind of go thunk from one side to the other because a lot of it was loose. And I remember laying there and going, hmm, 
My problem isn't that I'm on my back. I've got a bigger problem inside here. <laughs> Stuff is all kind of tore up. Well, in the same way, Jesus comes to save us from what's going on inside of us, and he only heals that we might believe him for that. It's a marvelous story in Scripture about a fully paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof in front of Jesus by some friends who wanted to see him healed. And Jesus' first response was not, you're healed. His first response was, son, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because that's the real problem. And then he said, so that you will all believe I can do that. I'm going to heal you. Get up and walk. His whole point was that we would believe that he deals with our sins. When we realize that that's the real problem, friends, it brings everything else into focus. Most sharply, God's grace for each and every one of us. Let's take a moment to understand what the something worse is Jesus is talking about, and then we'll be finished together. The Bible tells us, church, understand this, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, that every one of us is destined to die, virus or no virus, and after that, to face judgment. To face judgment. You want to cure yourself of the temptation to suicide? Remember that you don't escape. You don't get away. It's not an out pass. It's not a descent into sleep. You go to face judgment. You know, if we listen to our, our, our popular music, everybody goes to heaven. Jesus says it's not real. Everybody goes to judgment. And that is a sobering thing to think about. It puts everything else in focus. And then when we think about this judgment, understand this, the scripture says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that judgment at this point isn't looking promising. <laughs> Not for anyone on their own merits. And, and what happens at that judgment if we fail it? The scripture says, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Not, not just an earthly death, but an eternal death, what the Bible calls the second death. Jesus knows all this, so he grabs this guy and he says, hey, buddy, <laughs> stop sinning or something much worse than what you've wrestled with for these 38 years is ahead of you. If we think that all this man needs is healing, we're fools. Jesus knows better, and so he calls the man to real healing. And he does the same with everybody on the planet. The scripture says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We, we, are, we pass that judgment when we receive him as Savior. But understand this also. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's in the present tense. Nobody can see the Lord. Some have concluded that that passage means that we've got to be good enough or we won't get into heaven. But the thought is much bigger. Holiness has a present effect as well. It enables us to experience God. Holiness enables us to experience God more fully here and now, every day of our lives. C.S. Lewis wrote beautifully about this. He said, if we think of ourselves as houses into which we want the sun to shine, if the windows are dirty, the inside is darkness, no matter how bright the light on the outside is. And that reality is there for every one of us. Gang, understand this. What happens inside of you and me every minute of every day is way more important than what's going on around us because it's eternal, because it lasts forever. This is why Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Greg, I'm near, I'm right here. And I want you to be able to experience me. And that comes from hearing my call to turn away from sin. Sin will blind us to that reality, 
I'll always remember a woman in the emergency room when I worked there who uh, was extremely intoxicated, wandered out in the middle of a freeway, got hit by a pickup truck going 60 miles an hour. She had a, a broken body, head to toe, fracture, multiple, more fractures than I can even remember, including to her skull. Her, her life was, it was a miracle that she made it to the ER. And yet, despite all of that, because she was so drunk and high, she was fighting us as we tried to save her life. She was trying to bite us. She was trying to hit us. She was trying to kick us. And we're trying to save her life. She was so out of touch with reality. It's a miracle that God saved her that night, that she recovered. Because she was so unaware of how dramatic her own condition was. That can happen to us. You know, I read an article some years ago that I'll never forget that illustrates this. Sadly, John Hammond was a Civil War-era plantation owner, a governor and a congressman from the South. He was an ardent proponent of slavery and a sexual reprobate. In 1839, he purchased an 18-year-old slave named Sally and her infant daughter, Louisa. He made Sally his concubine, fathered several children by her. Then when Louisa reached the age of 13, he put her in her mother's place and fathered more children on her. His political career ended when his brother-in-law threatened to reveal that Hammond was also abusing his own four daughters, aged 13 to 18. Most remarkable of all was what Hammond wrote in his diary when his wife left him and an epidemic took the lives of his livestock and a drought wiped out his crops. He wrote this. He said, it crushes me to the earth to see everything so blasted. Slaves, cattle, mules, hogs, everything around me seems to labor under a curse. Great God, what have I done? What have I ever done to deserve this? (laughs) What had happened to him? Sin had made him unable even to perceive his own need. Unable even to understand his own need. Church, God wants us to understand that that's what sin will do to us so that we will hear him when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, churches, when we become aware of our sins, that then we begin to recognize our need for God's grace, then we can receive God's grace, and when we receive God's grace, that's the greatest thing of all. That's the thing that sets what Why did Jesus go back to the guy and say, hey, stop sinning? Because he knew that the guy's biggest problem wasn't being paralyzed. His biggest problem was what was going on inside of him. His biggest problem was his sins. Church, we want to understand this, not simply so we can be morbid and say, I'm a bad guy, but so that we can understand why God condemns sin and the grace he seeks to give us. That's why it's so important. That's why Jesus went back to this man. The saddest trauma of all is when sin causes us to ignore God's grace. And once we stop believing that sin matters, we stop seeking God's grace. That's the challenge. That's why Jesus went back to this man, because he knew that, because he understood that. And he knows that about you and me. He knows that about us. I hope I didn't walk out of the frame so everybody in the living room lost me there for a second. He knows that about us, and he wants to set us free. You know, I've shared this story before, but it just fits this moment as we get ready to close so perfectly. When, when I was a boy growing up, my granddad was, was the light in my world. He was fond of me, and I knew that. He was always taking me fishing, taking me shooting, and taking me out into the woods, taking me on trips. I just loved that, and Grandpa would often pick me up and we'd go shooting. He was a big Isaac Walton guy and 
we'd go out and we'd shoot. He taught me all about weapons growing up. And I remember one time we were out shooting on one of those Saturdays that I just lived for. I just couldn't wait to spend a Saturday with Grandpa. And we were out shooting in the wilderness of Eastern Oregon. And, you know, we got done shooting at the target and I was feeling pretty good because I was getting in to be a good shot, you know, and I'm about 12 years old. And I stepped back from the last shot I had taken with my rifle in my hand, kind of self-satisfied, and I tipped my rifle down and set the barrel on my toe. <laughs> Loaded rifle on my toe. Grandpa lost his mind, <laughs> okay? Grandpa went ballistic. He came at me, he grabbed that weapon out of my hand, he read me the riot act, he chewed me out, we got in the truck, we went home, he dropped me off. I was crushed. I was crushed. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, you know, have I lost my connection with Grandpa? It's kind of a tough week. But guess what? Very next Friday afternoon, I got a call from Grandpa. He said, Greg, do you want to go shooting tomorrow? In that moment, church, I learned why grandpa reacted that way today I understand it perfectly today I know exactly why he reacted that way he didn't react that way because he didn't like me because he was mad at me because he was excusing me from his world he reacted that way because he wanted me to learn a lesson I would never forget first of all to handle a weapon in a mature safe and wise way second of all that nothing's ever going to separate me from my granddad's love. <laughs> and church, when we treat sin like it's a nothing, we miss that lesson. We miss that lesson. And God doesn't want you to. God doesn't want me to. So he comes into our lives and he says, hey, let me turn you away from sin. I wonder if you don't need to make a decision about sin in your life. Maybe it's your tongue. Maybe it's your lust. Maybe it's your tendency to lie or to shade the truth. Maybe it's your tendency to give in to your temper or your hate or your anger. Whatever it is, I wonder if you can hear the Spirit of God saying, hey, I got a better way for you. I want you to acknowledge that as sin so that you can experience my grace. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. And we confess Jesus, that sometimes we get so hung up with what we think needs to happen that we completely forget that the real issue in all of our lives is sin and that that's a victory you won on the cross. And that you call us to turn away that we might discover your grace. God, we thank you this morning for, for reminding us of that. Send us from here, God knowing that your love isn't less than my grandpa's love for me. It's so much greater, and that's why you call us away from sin. Jesus, we thank you for going back to that man and speaking those words of life to him, even as you speak them to us. And we thank you, Father God, for your promise that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Send us from here knowing that's how you feel about us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I got off the subject of dieting as quick as I could so we can get on with Thanksgiving weekend. But you get the analogy. 
that's happening inside, what's happening outside. It's great to worship with you this morning. Thanks for being with us. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love him. Happy Thanksgiving.